Dude, are you here to party? Well, you came to the right place because it's America's broiest podcast, Pod People. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and you know what? I'm going to say it. I'm flame retarded. I'm Ben Sheets, and uh, I'm just a bag of oranges. Hi, I'm Cleveland Mosier, and no, I will not be taking any questions on how I know who Nina Hartley is. And joining us once again, returning champion, Jans Holstrom. Jans. Sizzler! 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 Hey guys, it's me. It's it's Jans. I'm back. Hello. Well, we're back doing another uh, Patreon pick episode, and I, I believe for the first time ever, our patron who did the picking is here on the show with us. This pick comes courtesy of Jans, of our boy Jans. And Jans, you have chosen a film for us to watch and talk about. It is uh, 2015's Dude Bro Party Massacre 3. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Dude Bro Party Massacre 3 and why you chose it? Yeah, absolutely. So, 2015, uh, I was younger, for sure. God, was that eight years ago? So, I was in my mid-20s. Um, and I happen to be a big fan of five second films. I don't know if anybody's aware of them there or they were oh, yeah. for a long time. Yeah. YouTube channel. Yeah. I, I remember films. five second films. Yeah. Every day, a five second film. And, um, so they, it was kind of the era of the big Kickstarter, uh, and the film Kickstarter, the film, um, there's all sorts of platforms for crowdfunding, but they wanted to make a movie and they said, we're going to make the horror movie with the highest body count in history. Kickstart our film. And uh, from that, Dude Bro Party Massacre 3 was born. It's an odd movie, for sure. But it's a movie that I think that every horror fan should see. Because horror can be very depressing. It can be very anxiety-inducing. Horror can just be rough. Like, we all like Hereditary. We all, all, well, you guys like Midsommar, I'm sure. Um, That's correct. Yeah, elevated horror and things like that. It can be real bleak, and I think that Dude Bro Party Massacre is really fun while also uh, satirizing the horror that we've been watching for the last 40 years. That's that's pretty a, a pretty succinct way of describing it. Um, I generally agree with all of that. I, I don't know if I like the movie as much as, as you do, from what I understand, Jans, but uh, it is it is an interesting film, um, and, and I think one worth checking out for for horror fans uh that being said it's fucking exhausting it's an exhausting film <laughs> yeah oh well you know it's it's very clear that it was directed by the five second film guys because it feels like every five seconds there's a new bit it's two hours worth of five second bits basically it's like have you ever wanted a YouTube sketch comedy video to go for two hours? Well, if the answer is yes, then this is the movie for you. For as much as they throw at the wall, and it is it is relentless. Like, the bits just keep coming. There's, like, all these inside jokes. There's usually, like, while a bit is occurring, there's something in the background that is also funny that's happening, and it's just, it's just nonstop. And it never, like, the pace never changes. And um, I was, like, for that, Pretty impressive how many land. I do find myself laughing a, a, a pretty, you know, decent amount throughout the film. Yeah, it's hard to to calculate like a a really good hit to miss ratio in terms of the bits because the bits are just nonstop. 
as opposed to like other, you know, horror comedy type films where, you know, there's still like a bit of grounding in between the jokes. Like this is just like nonstop bits. And, you know, we were as we were watching it last night, like we would go like five to ten minutes without laughing, like any of us. And then when something comes along that does land, it makes us laugh very hard. But there are like pretty gaping stretches of this movie that I personally do not find particularly funny. That's just me. I, I've also seen this movie twice in like the last three weeks. Um, it's not an easy film to to watch in back to back succession. <laughs> so during the launch of uh, of Mirror Forge, one of the titles that we work on over at DreadXP, hi people that haven't heard me on an episode, I work marketing for DreadXP. It's a video game company. Either way, Mirror Forge. The day before launch, we were crunching, uh, and I had Dude Bro Party Massacre 3 on in the background, because it is my favorite movie. Um, and I counted, I watched it 12 times during that pre-launch period, back to back, Jesus back Christ. to back. Uh, I've seen the movie over 100 times, I'm, I'm fairly certain at this point. That's insane. I don't think I've seen any movie that many times. No. You guys don't have a movie you can just put on in the background, like, anytime? Sure, yeah. I have plenty, but, but none that I've seen over 100 times in my lifetime, I think. Like I have, I I have comfort films and old favorites that I go back to for sure. But I mean, that's that's just that's just crazy, dog. No, I think I have two movies in my life that I've seen over a hundred times. It's probably Dubro Party Massacre three and uh, Joe Dirt. <laughs> Joe Dirt. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, when, whenever I that first moved funny. out, yeah, whenever I first moved out of my parents' house, um, all of my fucking DVDs and stuff were in a box. All my VHS tapes, because this was two thousand eight. We still had some VHS tapes got stolen so all i had was joe dirt on vhs damn that's crazy wore, wore that tape out well jan since you've seen dude bro party massacre by your own estimation over a hundred times i think that you are by far the most qualified of any of us to uh describe the film a little bit uh in, in terms of like what's the story what's the structure so on and so forth so i'm gonna let you do that Okay, so the movie begins explaining that this film was recorded in the middle of the night off of like a public access station. That's the only way it was thought lost to history. It's their whole setup. Um, that way they can justify the entire movie being in like small aspect ratio and like film grain effects all over, VHS effects all over it because it's made to look like a very and throwing 80s in weird commercials interstitially. Yeah, you know, whenever you oh god, I'm gonna I'm gonna sound so old right now. Whenever you recorded something off of TV with your VCR, you had to hit the pause or stop button during commercials because you didn't want to record commercials. So sometimes you weren't exactly you know on the button with that one, so you'd end up with snippets of commercials in with your recorded movie. And I think that dude, Party Massacre Three does a great job of kind of capturing that feel of something that you recorded on an old VHS tape late at night. I agree with that, and I also think that some of those little commercial snippets we see are some of the funniest things in the movie, which is unsurprising yeah. <laughs> considering that the format that this particular group of creators excels at is five-second films. <laughs> can I uh, yeah. can I get you guys' favorite well, commercials? Like, it's funny. We had the weird goblin one, and I was pizza like, goblin. this... Yeah, pizza goblin, and I was like, this is definitely... Uh, Mandy totally ripped this off. Yeah, Panos Cosmatos, let us know like what's going on. We're, we're 
Is this where Cheddar Goblin came from? What's happening? I I like the one I like the one where the uh the like tree branches come through the wall with the orange juice. Oh yeah, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> it's on me. My favorite is just the one that's just the guy that's like, I said, God damn, and like. Oh, after he rips his shirt off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's that's one of the Just early ones. I feel like I feel like that kind of like establishes a theme for the rest of the movie because so many of the characters are constantly ripping their shirts off. Sometimes putting on a shirt just to rip it off immediately after. It's a good bit. I trusted you. God, uh, I was talking to Cleveland about this last night. I'm pretty sure I could start at the beginning and just do the whole script from my brain. I believe that. Did that many times, yeah. Yeah. I think it's I think it's got um it's not just from a horror standpoint because I am I am like a horror dude I love horror movies um on this Deep podcast Masker, yeah Deep Red Party Massacre three is good as just a solid comedy with horror elements it's horror adjacent I'd almost say um it does yeah I would say it's more a comedy than a horror movie even. yeah it definitely captures that feel though of the late 80s, early 90s, goofy horror. Like, you got the remote control bit that's, like, straight out of a Freddy Krueger movie. Nightmare on Elm Street. That's his series. The mother face is sort of an uh, an amalgam of all of the killers uh, in a in a nice way. I like, uh, she's, she has the Freddy one-liners, obviously Leatherface, because she's wearing a face. Um, and, you know, just all the camp kills. It's very Jason Voorhees. So she's just, like, a nice medley of the whole thing. So yeah. yeah, and I would say I would say like the tone and vibe of like the acting is very like trauma coded. Yes, like it feels very Toxic Avenger esque. Yeah, absolutely. Anyways, but after so after we've established that this is a lost film and we get to see um you know snippets of the goofy commercials, we go into the film itself, which is about Brent Chirino is his name. He is going to the town of, uh, what is it called? Chico. Chino. Ch- or Chico, Chino? Chino. Chico. 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 California. Uh, the town there. <laughs> He's going to the college to find out who killed his brother. Which one died? Brock. Brock is the one who is who is killed, who does the recap at the beginning. Because, you know, yes. this is Dude Bro Party Massacre 3, but there are not, like, 1 and 2 do not exist. Uh, like it is um, in that in that way, it's sort of like Thanksgiving three, where they just went from Thanksgiving one to three. So this one, like you had, it starts with Brock Chirino recapping the events of the supposedly lost Dubro Party Massacres one and two, and filling in on all the backstory, and then he gets killed, and his twin brother Brent comes in to solve the mystery of who killed his brother, and how Motherface is is back from the dead. And this is told through um, the therapy at the beginning, where Brock is explaining the previous murders are some of the funniest bits of the movie. Like, because it's just quick cut, uh, practical effects violence. Like, yep, goofy practical effects violence. Yeah, kill after no, kill, explaining these funny. massacres. Oh, yeah, like the dude that's like, hold my hair, bro, while he's throwing up in the toilet. And uh, the killer pulls oh, yeah. his head back and slits his throat and the puke comes out and the blood. It's a lot of fun, goofy practical effects. Uh, a dude's head explodes trying to solve a Rubik's Cube, which you can't really attribute to Motherface, but they still count it. I also like in that bit uh, when Larry King shows up for his brief. Yeah. Well, this this movie has a, a series <laughs> of like tr- I'd say truly bizarre cameos. Um, 
one of which is Larry King, as I, I see in IMDb, he's credited as Coach Hansy, um, which I guess is like a, a Penn State joke. Because he's like, he's like, dude, bros, are you done showering yet? Or whatever. He's like in the locker room and then he gets <laughs> killed by like a uh, like mother face with a javelin or something. Um, thought that was pretty funny. So if you watch it with the commentary, uh, Michael Rousselet, one of the directors, there was a few directors and a few writers. Uh, they had gone Far to Larry too King. too many for, writers. <laughs> yeah, they went to Larry King for a cameo and he's like, only if I get murdered. And uh, they're like, yeah, okay. Because he's like, I, mean, I always hey, played. I, dudes that it. don't get murdered because i'm larry king and they're like yeah we'll kill you we don't care yeah i love it that like in the first five minutes of the film they kill larry king i think that's pretty funny yeah um, that's great yeah uh another one of my favorite bits in in that opening segment is when they kill i can't remember if it's the original killer or the second killer where she like runs out into the puddle of gasoline and they throw the the cigarette or whatever and burns her and the dude says looks like you're flame retarded. Like, I'm a child, so I thought that joke is extremely funny. Yeah, that was very good. And very 80s. Uh, uh, I also like that in those flashbacks uh, are pretty much, no, they are the only time you'll see female nudity in this 80s horror movie like Pastiche, which is very funny. It's true. A bit because, you know, 80s horror movies were just full of boobs. Dude, Bro Party Massacre uses the techniques and uses, like, the blocking that you would use for nude women, but uses it for dudes. And it's very funny. I oh, do yeah, like, like one, the, the, the one little bit where you do see female nudity in that opening bit is another one of my favorite gags where like the, the women and like one dude are all just like running through like the wet streets naked. And they step into a puddle that has like a live wire in it. And all the women are electrocuted, but the guy is okay. Cause he's wearing galoshes. His name is Jimmy galoshes. Right. But then he, he, he bends down to touch one of the the women's breasts, and when he touches it, the cur- the electrical current travels through her into him and kills him anyway, which I think is a, a good gag. So after we get these recaps, I'll go back into the story. After we get the recaps, yeah, we uh, we meet Brent Torino, Brock's younger brother. Uh, they're actually twins, but he is younger. Um, he's going to pledge Delta Bi, which is the fraternity that Brock was in. That collectively, uh, him and Samzy, his best friend in the frat, had killed Motherface twice at this point. So he's there investigating and ingratiating himself with the frat. And on his way there, he meets Nedry, Nedry Headcheese, um, a disabled college student in a wheelchair, which comes back a lot of times in a lot of very funny ways. He decides to, he explains his plan to Nedry, and they decide to uh, infiltrate the frat and find out what happened to his brother. There's a really good visual bit there uh, on the frat house on the delta by house um the big banner says like brock's dead party five dollar cover like twenty dollar cover out. oh twenty dollar cover yeah there's twenty dollar like, cover passed out in the yard and shit which i must say if this is supposed to take place in the 80s that's an insane cover for a frat party twenty dollars yeah i think um something i uh i sort of it's funny because like last week we also watched a uh a film that's supposed to be like vhs recorded 80s horror film and uh they're, they it's kind of funny comparing the two um but with with this one um i i think it's it's almost part of the bit how little they try to set it in the 80s like they're just using the 80s as a tool to get the bits out like it's yeah it's there's a, there's it's zero really nothing more 
it's literally in service of one bit at the end of the movie. That's it. Like, it's in service of that one bit. Which they continually set up throughout the film by having a framed photograph of Ronald Reagan in just about every room in the film. Yeah, there's this... this Varying sizes. There's this weird Ronald Reagan undercurrent through the whole movie. I think that's what helps kind of place it in the 80s superficially. Like, you just see it like... It's one of the only things. Yeah, it's like if you gathered a bunch of people together and you said, hey, how do we make make it feel like the 80s? And they went, pictures of Ronald Reagan, obviously. And it's like such an... Like a stupid solution, but also very funny. Yeah, and and like you yeah. said, like there's there's very little additional attempt to capture any sort of eighties pastiche in the movie. Like some of the costuming, I guess. Like one of the dudes is wearing a shirt with a print that like my mom had on a dress, like when I was a child. But other than that, like everything is pretty modern seeming for the most part. So having the constant like looming presence of Ronald Reagan in the background <laughs> is, is pretty right. funny. Yeah. Well, cause they, they say during, during the, the, the title crawl at the beginning, which is yellow text on red background. They're just straight up doing the Texas chainsaw, uh, oh. opening, but they specify that, the reason this film is lost is because Ronald Reagan declared it illegal and uh, had all copies destroyed or something like that. So that just like some teenager stayed up until the, the last showing of it on like public access at 4 a.m. and recorded it. So Ronald Reagan is responsible for the destruction of this film as well. Brent gets to the, the frat and we meet all the frat brothers who are going to be our characters throughout the entire movie. You got, you know. You got Sizzler, the uh, the pledge played by Jimmy Wong, or yeah, no, yeah, it's yeah. Jimmy Wong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, then you've got Turbo, spelled T U R B E A U X, like the the mean dude in the frat. Yeah, he's probably my favorite of of all of them. I think also just like the actor who plays him, like I think is giving one of the best like genuine performances in the film like he's still doing the same type he's of got real, he's got a real john belushi vibe to him which i appreciate you know especially for an 80s film that's you know kind of pulling elements from stuff like animal house yeah and of course we can't forget i don't know the character's name but uh he's played by uh greg sestero from the room i I, I, okay derek is that character's name all right uh forgettable name um compared to turbo and sam z yeah i i really appreciate greg sestero's presence in in this movie also i know that like the director uh michael russelet that you were saying like he's like one of the people who sort of like brought the room to its like cult status fame um because i know he was at the original like screening of the room like the super small one that just had you know a couple hundred people or whatever and he was one of the ones who like championed it as this sort of like legendary so bad it's good have has to be seen to be believed film um so i i appreciate that he lassoed greg sestero for this not that greg sestero is uh is an actor who is uh, in particularly high demand so i don't imagine it was too difficult Ah, oh, but he was very fun in this. He's great in this. Yeah, I really enjoy yeah. him. Um, so, I always uh, like seeing him show up. 
Jans, you and I a while back went through and watched every single one of the Puppet Master films. Yes. Um, so in the, in the earlier films, the villain is German. And then there's a latter film where they give him a backstory and they suddenly make him French and it's Greg Sestero. And it's because Sestero couldn't do a German accent, so they just retconned it and made him French instead. And there's a bit throughout the film with a French subtitleist. And I was just sort of wondering, like, do you, do you think that's like sort of a nod to Puppet Master? Like, and yeah, kind of it's, it's in the commentary. Oh, is it? Oh, nice. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Greg's yeah, Greg Sestero, uh, yeah, doing the French in Puppet Master, and his character, his dad is French and is always talking to him, uh, subtitled from his brain, like he's always imagining his dad. And his dad was a handyman, and they're like, "Hey, Derek, we need you to fix the breaker box because the power goes out on the first night that they're there partying." Oh, real quick, quick aside, they meet um the other the other really good character, Ripstick. Uh, who is played by Andrew W.K. Yeah, that's that's another yeah. one of those just like really bizarre cameos. Weird is pull. there is there yeah, is there a story behind that? I mean, I know Andrew W.K. is kind of like synonymous with partying. So like I guess it sort of makes sense for, you know, the dude bro party massacre sort of vibe. But that was like the first time I watched it, like that was the cameo that sort of like knocked my jaw open. I'm just like, what the fuck? It was Andrew WK. He's a nineties uh punk rock party anthem musician, I would say. Yeah, he he kind of started in like the underground punk scene, um, but like into like the two thousands, he sort of became like this arena rock like party guy. Um, he's still making like he's his last album came out like a year or two ago. Like he's he's pretty prolific. They started out in March two thousand. Uh, Andrew WK, yeah, he's he's just party party music. Yeah, perfect music. I fucking love Andrew. Like WK. party 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 rock music specifically. Like I feel like you have to, especially in this day and age, you have to clarify because like so much party music is like you know electronic music and hip hop and stuff like that. He's like he's like arena rock kind of party music. Well, he's also, like, a piano player. So, like, his whole thing is, like, big, loud party music with him just, like, slamming away at a piano. I assume that the work music and the party music that they play when they're, like, cleaning up the cabin and then when they start partying, like, that's Andrew WK stuff, right? No. um, Not at all. That's one of my favorite bits. That's one of my favorite bits, actually, because you meet Ripstick and you're like, oh, shit, it's Andrew WK. If you know who he is, you're like, oh, party music. And the guy's like all right, we're done working, it's time to party. And he switches it from, like, work time to party hard, which is Andrew WK's, like, biggest song. His big song, yeah, yeah. Yeah, slips it in and starts playing, like, the worst, like, Muzak ever. Like, it's a really yeah. good hit. That's that's a good joke that I got, but I assumed that it, they still tapped Andrew WK to make those tracks for this movie. Is that not the case? No, it's um I can't remember his name. I it's over at the other house, but I actually recently bought the soundtrack for Dude Reporting Massacre. They had a limited pressing in vinyl. Um okay, and the art the art was done by the dude who did uh Mr. Pickles on Adult Swim. They did some really good motherface art for the LP, but it's all the music for the movie, so it's like nobody's going to die, the clean it up song, like their party hard song, and it was all just like some Muzak dude that they're friends with. They had to do some uh music for the movie. Okay, that's kind of a shame because I thought I, I assumed it, that Andrew WK wrote those songs, which would have made the bit even funnier that they got him to write like the the lamest party music of all time. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, still, I, I, still, I prefer the still bit where good, they use, yeah, still the, a good yeah, bit the, where he where he flips over the the tape and it's party hard, but it's not party hard. Yeah, it's just the clean it up song, which gets stuck in my head all the time. The clean it up, clean it up. Yeah, always in my brain. Can we talk about Sea Trunk real quick? I think that's a really funny bit. Sure. Um, during the this, we're going all the way back to the the murder montages, um, where they're like, then they got Cindy and Sea Trunk. And like it's a dude getting blown, and he's like, "Ah, oh, Sea Trunk," <laughs> like his name's Cindy. <laughs> like that's the whole bit. It's very good. <laughs> yeah, I think I think with this movie, it's just gonna be hard for us not to bounce around. We're we're just gonna. Yeah, okay. if you sit, okay, I'm telling you, like the first time I watched it, I was I was like, eh. It took a few watches, and then you start. It is like a joke or a bit every five seconds, but there's also a bunch of like smaller stuff that you catch on all the rewatches I've done. I mean, uh, yeah, I think... you, you, you have to, cause it's, it's overwhelming. Like even yeah. the second yeah. time, like I caught more stuff this time than I did the first time I watched it, but even yeah. still it's, it's fucking overwhelming. It's like, I am just like, I, I feel like physically tired by the time I'm an hour into this movie. Like no joke. Like I just, it's, it's so exhausting. So as someone with a background in comedy, um, like a written comedy unpublished, I just love comedy. And I think that Dude Bro Party Massacre 3 is not like, it's not for everyone, that's for sure. It's a mile a minute. It's great if you if you have like ADHD. This is a movie for people with ADHD. <laughs> I feel like, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll, wear the, it'll wear them down. <laughs> There's just relentless pacing. No, it's just yeah. a curious. It's a curious thing to me because I've just never felt. I've never felt exhausted by a movie. I rarely do either. This is this is a, a rare a rare instance. And you know, I, sometimes sometimes I think exhaustion is the point. Like I think you know, particularly some you know like very bleak, horrifying films, you know, are relentless in order to sort of like wear you down. But it's it's an extremely rare uh thing to be worn down by uh by comedy well you know i'll tell you there's another horror uh horror comedy that came out this year that left me really exhausted but i loved and that's bo is afraid like yeah i mean in fairness that one is like 30 hours long yeah it's more exhausting through its length i think like it's that's that's a film that's a film like it's an odyssey but uh it's much better paced than than this film also like very different goals not (laughs) it is yeah yeah it is it is paced um sort of unfair to compare them though like they have they have very different goals um but uh, i do think think you would like bo is afraid though yachts for for kind of some similar reasons we'll have to watch it who's who's got three hours you know Says man who played Lethal Company for five to six hours last night. Who's got three hours, man? Jans, um, do you happen to know offhand how much money they raised through the Kickstarter for for this project? Not off the top of my head, no. Okay, I I mean I I know that's something we could look up, but I I'm just I'm curious because like. The the three of us did not sit through the the credits this time, but the first time I watched it, I did, and the credits are like fifteen minutes, and it's because just an obscene section of the credits is dedicated to naming all of the Kickstarter backers, and it just goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. So like, I I feel like the the budget for this movie must have been like truly insane. Um, so I was just curious if you happen to know what that was. Um, um, I do now. 
<laughs> oh, you looked it up. Nice. Thank you. Let, thank you for letting me ramble for a minute. Yeah, there we go. To, to look it up. <laughs> uh, 4,789 backers pledged $241,071 to help bring this project to life. For for a movie like this, uh, a $200,000 budget is uh, it's pretty impressive. Pretty, pretty fucking impressive. Yeah, goddamn. It's a very large budget. 4,000 backers. Yeah, and all of those 4,000 backers are in the credits. So you have to sit through all of that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, I think, like, you know, like, your average, like, indie film is running a million, too. You know, like, yeah. that's, that's pretty good. Especially, again, for just how loaded down with stuff it is. Yeah, well, I mean, I can't imagine there's, like, much in terms of actual production costs. Because, again, they don't really make a, a, a big effort to do the 80s, like, pastiche in terms of costuming and set dressing and stuff like that. And yeah. the film is, like, shot in the style of, like, a YouTube video. I, I almost wonder if, uh, you know, because they raised so much on Kickstarter, they had, like, a certain threshold that they were expecting to make. And each time they surpassed that, they were like, oh, we have to add more jokes now. <laughs> and that's that is, why it ended up just so overloaded. That is, kind of, that is kind of what it feels like. Um, a lot of things like sort of like clicked into place for me when I watched this movie the first time and saw that it was like kickstarted. I, I didn't know that going in. Um, I went into this relatively blind. Um so yeah, that when I saw that, well, and when you also see all of the writers that are credited, it's like then things start making a little bit more sense. Like it's pretty much all of the five second film guys are credited as writers. So there's like twelve of them, and I I do think that it's difficult to make something of consistent quality when you have that many people writing it. Because I do think the film is inconsistent uh, in, in the terms of its uh, its comedy and, and its bits. Like, some really, really incredible ones that, that make me laugh very hard, and then just, like, minutes of jokes that just, like, do absolutely nothing for me. Let's hit some of those good ones. So... Well, we can, we can go back to the plot. Uh... <laughs> yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> Yeah, let's yeah, see. Yeah, we can bounce Brent... around after. Yeah, they're just going to get Yeah, Brent, Brent and Nedry join the frat. Um, as their initiation, they have to go to the local college radio station and say that Dean Pepperstone, the dean at their college, eats farts. They just have to say it over the college radio. The dean it's Pepperstone big, eats farts. Their big senior prank. Yeah, their big senior prank. And they mentioned that the last few senior pranks, uh, one of them crashed, or no, one of them was a uh, heavy metal hot air balloon that they overthrew a small South American country with under Ronald Reagan's orders. And uh, um, one of them, importantly, because it does come back around later, is that their junior year prank was that they destroyed the dam that was holding back the, the water above Old Parchtown. They flooded Old Parchtown and turned it into a lake, and they killed something like 40,000 people. Yeah. And so they go, they get drunk, um, Brent and, and Nedry get super drunk doing Edward Forty Hands, and then they go to the the college radio station, except for they follow the wrong sign, and instead of going to the college radio station, they end up at an air traffic control tower, where they start screaming, Dean Pepperstone eats farts, to confuse pilots, 
causing a, a jumbo jet to crash into an orphanage, killing hundreds. There's always uh, a so, body count with their pranks. Yeah, so the dean puts them on academic uh, probation, and they end up having to leave for the weekend uh, to go stay at the old sorority house off of the lake near Old Parchtown. So they gather up in their RV and head off towards this old cabin in the woods, which is such a standard horror movie setup, the old cabin in the woods. Cabin in the woods by the lake. They're doing the Friday the 13th thing. There's lots of good good bits with the whole uh, Dean Pepperstone eats farts prank. Uh, whenever they're being talked to by the Dean, who's played by Nina Hartley, famous actress. Um, look her up. Yeah, look her up. Uh, famous actress. She is like, your prank caused a jet to crash to an orphanage. All those kids are dead, and I don't eat farts. Like, it's so good. Yeah, I, I like There's... it too, because that, that scene ends with her being like, oh, and, you know, if, if any of y'all are looking for any, like, nubile, like, recently divorced women to come along, and they're like, no, fuck that, and they leave. <laughs> oh, and then Dean Pepperstone is, is brutally murdered with a letter opener. So they, they leave for the cabin, and they encounter one of my favorite bits. Uh, which is they have the uh, the paddle boatman um, who charges for paddle boat rides over Lake Town, and he's he's just grieving over tombstones of his dead family, and uh, that whole interaction uh, had me had me giggling. Yeah, he's like swinging back and forth between boundless sorrow and like hysterical mania, and he's like telling them to he like take their he wants to take their picture standing amongst all of the graves of his family he's like put your arm around my wife and greg sestero like puts one arm around the on around one of the tombstones and then he's like okay now do a silly one and so they all kind of like strike silly poses like no make it sillier and uh Brent starts like humping, like dry humping, like one of the graves. And then after he takes the picture, he's like, Yeah, that was pretty funny. That's my baby boy, by the way. 18 <laughs> months old. When the water took him and he's still <laughs> yeah, like when... slowly humping this, the tombstone for just a moment longer. <laughs> when the water took him. My wife, she died doing what she loved. One of the guys just like drowning. Oh. I just I still like giggle like thinking about like this this paddle boatman whose like entire family was drowned in this lake and he just rents paddle boat rides so that tourists can just like giggle and paddle over their corpses. Well, no, no, like, no, no, no. Just... He didn't start it for the tourists. He explained that he owned a paddle boat business when it was still parched down. And he yes. said no one wanted to rent a paddle boat from old Patty whenever it was Parchtown, but now I can't keep people away from me. And he just starts crying in the middle of like sentences. He's such a good like better. good character. So his business, yeah. So his business is booming, but he lost his so he entire family. For that, but also the boys killed his family. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. He mentions it. He's like, I gotta thank you, boys. No one wanted to rent a paddle boat in old Parchtown. It's so good. It's a good bit. And then they get. Oh, there's another good part to that. Nedry, who is in a wheelchair, is like, would you happen to have a uh, a wheelchair-friendly paddle boat? And he's walking by, and he's like, nope! <laughs> so they yeah, make so Nedry, they... he's like, there's a path down that goes about 13 miles to the bridge, and then you can go across. <laughs> and he's like, better get going, and they just send him off in his wheelchair. Yeah, well, they get on their paddle boats to carry them to the other side of the lake where the cabin is. Uh, 
to to close out Patty's character, um, that is one of my my favorite bits in the film. Is like we see him out late a little later, like out on a paddle boat, and Motherface is like in the woods by the lake, and she's got a bow and arrow, like she's doing the Jason Voorhees thing, and she's aiming down the arrow about to shoot Patty and he just pulls out a gun and sticks it in his mouth and Bud Dwyer's himself <laughs> before she can shoot him with the arrow, which got a really good laugh out of me both times I saw it. Yeah. Patty's an A plus character. He is. That yeah, yeah, like Cleveland was saying, that whole section, that whole scene is just wall to wall jokes. And pretty much all of them hit. Um, yeah. and then the boys get to the, the cabin, which is a very evil dead cabin, uh, as all old cabins are wont to be. And they start setting up with their tape, their cleaning song. Uh, they meet Ripstick, who is Andrew WK and they start cleaning. Um, and then they switch to partying and the first like sign that something, it may be a miss happens. The power goes out. And so it's up to Derek, who is Greg Sestero's character. Uh, his dad was a handyman, so he has to go flip the breaker. But also, he never wanted to be a handyman. He's terrified of tools, and his dad berates him in French throughout that scene. One of my favorite details about that scene where we see his dad berating him in French is that at the end, like, his dad, like, the specter of his dad is kind of, like, floating above his shoulder, and at the end of berating him, he spits in his face, and... Derek turns towards the camera and he's got like tears running down his face. So like the, the spit turns into him crying, which is a very funny sight gag. Well, and also his, uh, his, his father's mental avatar is just Greg Sestero in a beret and a white striped shirt. Yes. Like yes. He's just like a stereotypical Frenchman floating in the top right corner, talking to Greg Sestero. This is one of the bits that that definitely it it does land once once it tracks. Um, where I it, I I didn't get the first time I watched the movie. Uh, like it's it comes in so fast, and there's something about like and it's it's edited like over the top of other dialogue, and there's just so many other things happening at this point when they're getting into the cabin that like and also like the first time the French is introduced at the frat house, like it's a different bit because he says, "Oh yeah, I know French," and he says, um. Hello, I'm a French subtitleist and I'm trapped in a basement. Help me, which is a great bit and it's very funny. But then later on, like his dad is French and they're doing that bit, and it's just it kind of all it gets kind of muddy. And I didn't get it the first time. It's so mile a minute that like not all of it can really lock in, which is normally a sign of like not being a very bright person. Like I just I hear a lot of a lot of folks be like, well, you really got to watch it, you know, several times. Like the Matrix is just just. It's it's really deep, and you got you got to watch it a few times to get it. It's like no, I I got it. <laughs> but with this movie, it's not you really so much, it. like it's, yeah, so it's not so much getting it. Yeah, it's just dense enough that like if you want to catch jokes, you might not have caught. It's always nice to watch it again. Like no, with this one, I think you really do though. Like yeah, you got to. Yeah, you gotta it, dem- it. it demands it. There's literally too much for you to take in on a first viewing. Yeah. yeah. But Derek gets out to the shed, and he's it's time to fix the the breaker. Uh, but he does not have time to do it. Motherface shows up and uses a hoe, uh, the gardening tool, to push his face into the breaker box, killing him, but also turning the power back on at the party. And then we get the first Motherface quip, which is, um, fuck. I can't remember. Who remembers the quip? I don't remember the one here. I remember the next couple. Does she Does she have one here? 
can't find the it. first one the first one i remember is after she kills like the the really drunk guy later um by putting like a uh, a keg tap in his head um and like pumping his his brains out into his cup uh and then when he falls over dead she says it's all oh. head I remember because she uses the hoe and she says hoes before bros because she uses the hoe to push his face into it. That's why I preface by explaining it was a hoe because the line is hoes before bros. Okay. That's not as good of a joke as a lot of the other ones. So I guess I I never connected that either time. Oops. Oops all head is great. Like that one. Oops all head is is funny. So Derek's Derek's dead and no one knows it. Uh, They're just happy that the power's back on. But then they run out of beer, so they have to send one of the other ones and Sizzler off on a beer run. That has, like, one pretty good bit in there where they've put Sizzler in the beef box, which is just a big, like, refrigerator box with a hole in it. The glory hole. Yeah, well, yeah, because they 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 have glory hole with an arrow drawn to it written on the box. Um, but while they're out in the woods, the frat bro, he's the one who's always like shooting stuff with the camera. I can't remember his name. He he's like he's like, oh, are you hungry, little guy? And Sizzle's like, yeah. And like the box like nods, and he just pulls out like a carrot, like a loose carrot, and just like puts his puts it through the hole in the box to feed him like a horse. And they just like keep cutting back and forth between uh like the two shot, like just like an absurd number of times. Yeah, it's one of the it's one of those bits that goes on just a little too long, and because. Because it does, it's way funnier. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes on for such a long time that you're like, okay, cut away now. And then it just like keeps going even longer. And it's like, okay, actually, this is pretty funny again. And then it finally have, does cut. So have I ever talked to you? Uh, no, I haven't, actually. Have y'all ever watched um, Kristen Shaw is a horse? No. Nope. So it's no. this live comedy thing with uh, actors. Actor Kristen Schaal, we all know her. She's the voice of Luis and Bob's Burgers. If that, that's probably the most well known. She's on What We Do in the Shadows as well. Yes, she's the like assistant for the Vampire Council or whatever. Um, so Kristen Schaal used to do this live comedy thing called Kristen Schaal as a Horse, and it's her and her friend, and they go up on stage, and she starts like doing a like a kind of a gallop in place kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, while her friend just says Kristen Schaal is a horse. Look at her dance like a horse. Look at her dance like, and he just—it's this like two-bar song, and this is, that's the whole performance. So they get a, a room full of people, and she just starts doing the galloping thing, and he starts singing his stupid little song, and uh, it's funny at first, and then people absolutely hate it, and then they come back around to it because it goes on so long that you go through these different stages, uh, and that's a—it's kind of comedy in and of itself. But whenever I see comedy like that, more. I call it a uh, Kristen Shaw is a horse style comedy. Yeah, we uh, we hit that on uh, our Greasy Strangler episode a lot because that that film loves yeah. to do that. It's yeah, yeah. that that is actually a, a type of comedy that we have brought up on the show. I think multiple times um, that I do always find pretty effective. Uh, always we'll always check out manages that to get me. Charles of Horse. But... Oh. I, I don't think I will. I think I, I think I get it. I think I get it from Yon's description. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'd, I'd be happy it. to link you guys the episode of Radio Lab from NPR where I found it because they had a breakdown of how that type of comedy works and why it's oh so God. effective and things. Oh, Radio Very Lab. Good. Yeah, I, I like Radio Lab. Radio Lab. I haven't you listened know, to a Radio Lab in years. 
You know what they say about NPR, nice, polite Republicans. Yes, precisely. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) But I do like, uh, I do like Radiolab. Uh, Or I did back then when I was delivering pizzas. Yeah, I I used to subscribe to Radiolab. I kind of fell off because, you know, like you said, nice, polite Republicans, a.k.a. AKA libs. So especially like, I think, I think I fell off like around the 2020 election where it's like, I, I don't, I don't need to hear these people like getting into their politics. Like I don't subscribe to that, to that shit. Yeah. I I didn't have, I didn't ever subscribe. I just listened to it on 92.5 KOMA Oklahoma. Oh yeah. On coma. Where are we at in the story? They go for a beer run. Oh yeah. That that has, that has another bit that I I love very much, um, which is a very simple gag where Sizzler is in the beef box and it's got the whole cut out into it that says glory hole. And they end up having to stop in the forest for something. And Sizzler, we're looking just at this box, but his mouth, like he leans his mouth out and he goes, you know, sometimes I feel like you guys don't respect me. And I feel like <laughs> that's such a good visual gag of him, like putting his mouth out of the glory hole labeled hole and going, you know, I don't think I, sometimes I think you guys don't respect me. That's pretty good. Yeah, Sizzler is like, he's like the pledge. He's like the underclassman pledge. So the whole movie is like him going through a series of hazing rituals. Um, sort of another example of that same sort of, like you said, Kristen Schaal is a horse style comedy that they do early on when they introduce Turbo. And he has like a sheath like on his back and it's got like a like a paddle for paddling pledges they just have him like paddling Sizzler and it's the same thing where like it's funny at first and then it stops being funny because it keeps going on. And then by the end it's funny again because they just keep belaboring it and coming up with all of these like dumb, goofy ways for, for him to whack a dude on the ass with a big wooden paddle. Uh, yeah, that bit's great. Cause he's like, do you think yeah. you can handle that? Uh little Brent, little Brent, Brenty Torino. He's like, do you in every like word he's punctuating by hitting Sizzler's ass with the paddle? And then he starts getting goofy with it where he's doing like a little shuffle with the paddle held uh like vertically and like tapping him on the ass with it. Turbo's a great character. Um he has Turbo's a lot great. of really, I love Turbo. He has a lot of good lines that are like under his breath. Uh, one of them is gonna smack your ass with my big paddle. Watch me not give a shit is another one that he says, which is uh, one of my favorite lines. Is watch me yeah, not I, give a shit. I still use that one, yeah, because at the end of all of this, these sentences where he's smacking Sizzler's ass the entire time, he just goes, "Watch me not give a shit," and then like drops his paddle. It's so yeah. good. Yeah, it's very very good. Um, he he also has a, a pretty a pretty funny death as well. You know, again we're we're jumping all over the place. I don't really care. He he has like a fear. Of, wait 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 of... wait, Tease. Yeah. Tease. Can can we establish since we're jumping around? This will make more sense. Um, after Derek getting killed by the uh, the power box, Motherface the killer is killing them based on their fears. Yes. So Derek yeah. was afraid of. Tools and like circuit boxes, so she killed him with that. Okay, so now Turbo afraid of dogs. Go ahead, T. Sorry for yeah, interrupting. I just wanted to give well, that context to the listener. No, I, I appreciate that. That is important. Um, well, he's not afraid. He's not just afraid of dogs. He's afraid of of baby dogs, um, which I think is funny that he continually calls them baby dogs and he doesn't use the not word puppies. puppies. Um, but he's afraid of baby dogs, and we find out later when he admits to Brent that the reason he's afraid of baby dogs is because he has a hairy little dog dick, uh, in his own words, 
and that seeing little baby dogs reminds him of what he hates about himself, which which is, again, his little hairy dog dick. So he goes down into the basement to get more wood so they can board up the uh, the house, and he finds a gun with a single bullet. Oh, um, neat! Yeah, yeah cool. They're one of those like yeah. under the breath lines from Turbo, where he's just like a gun, cool. Well, no, he's like he's like a gun, only one bullet, cool. Yeah. <laughs> like like the the fact that it only has a single bullet is contributes to its cool factor. Um, but yeah, so then I presumably I guess Motherface releases several like small dogs uh, in the dogs. basement, some baby, do- baby well, dogs. That's the thing is like the dog the actual dogs are not really like baby dogs they're just like various breeds of like small dog so they're they're running around and he's freaking out and he's having like while he's being swarmed by all of these adorable little baby dogs they're doing like like almost like crime scene photo Texas, flashes Texas chainsaw yeah, kind of like flashes of like black and white photography of like dog penises, um, which you know <laughs> very, scene, very that grotesque. Always difficult. Whenever I show people that movie, yeah, because I get to it, I'm like, oh, here's the part where I'm like, hey, I forgot to tell you, it's gonna show you like 19 dog dicks, black and white, high contrast in like the span of 15 seconds. Yeah, it's, like, it's, I, it's <laughs> probably it's probably like it's probably like the most unpleasant part of the film to actually watch. Definitely. Um, but the payoff is very funny because, like, he's lying on the ground and he's got, like, three or four, like, small dogs, like, licking his face. And he's just, he's just like, you're so small! And then he puts the gun to his head and blows his brains out. Oh, hey, no, <laughs> also... Like the gun the, is, is lined the, up with his head and the dog next yes, to him. The, the other side. The baby, yeah, the baby dog that he's holding, he lifts up to be on the other side of his head. He's like, you're so small. You're so small. small. To take out him and the puppy. The baby dog, sorry. Yeah. Oh, okay. So we're, we're you know, we're about an hour in. And something that I do want to talk about, because I think it's something that largely contributes to, like, my structural problems with this film. And that is the, the B plot, which we have not talked about at all with the cops. Um, and there's, you know, I think too many like individual bits in this to go into, but I think, and this is just me, I know, I know you love it, Jan, so forgive me, but I think a large part of this film's like structural issues and length and issues with its length would be solved if they just removed the cop B plot entirely. I think a lot of it's very funny in a vacuum. There are some good bits there, yeah. I was gonna say you can't take it out. It's got, it's got so many. Well, the thing is, is like uh, one of the cops is Brian Ferenzi, who is like Mr. I think five one second of films himself, I, right? Like, like really the star of five second films, and he's great. But I do think that you know, in this movie that is almost two hours long and is just like a relentless like bombardment of bits, like the cop B plot is like almost entirely disconnected from the a plot and i don't think you would lose anything from the film if it was gone and the whole and the film would probably be about 30 minutes shorter if it was gone it exists for i think i can't verify this but i i would guess you know you're making this big slasher movie pastiche 
you need that um that like halloween five like there's a cult trying to control the world kind of b plot like that doesn't make sense and i feel like that was a conscious decision because you look at everything else they do to either send up or pay homage to classic horror i think cool. including uh, a like a b plot that doesn't matter about a cult that's trying to do something with the the slasher killer is very 90s horror I agree with you entirely. I think that it's 100% a conscious decision and is sort of in itself a bit, but that doesn't necessarily make it meaningfully contribute to the rest of the story, which is basically the same thing I said in our last episode when we talked about Lake Nowhere, and Ben, you said that like you think the mo- parts of the movie are sort of like intentionally paced poorly for lack of a better word because that is sort of like a hallmark of those 80s movies and it's like yeah that's true like it is it is to a fault exactly and i I think this is kind of the same and just like if if it was again like in a vacuum a lot of it is very funny like my bang bust my dream like my bang bust my dream the shit like that is like it's funny like Patton oswalt as the like police chief who has the you know satanic side plot to help finish some sort of ritual that will make Motherface strong enough to kill the dude bros or whatever. Like all of that is funny. Like it, it, in a vacuum, it's I I like it, but I think that like I would maybe overall enjoy this film more if it was just like a little bit tighter on its runtime. And the easiest way to do that is just rip all of that shit out wholesale. Basically, think... it's a little funky too because it does round out the film. Even though it's the B plot, the movie ends with all the oranges stuff. Like, yeah, it, but it's that's that gag is also set up in the B plot. You're not losing anything by taking it out. The yeah, whole, no, no, I'm the whole fucking, with you. like, like yeah. I think it, it it also kind of highlights that it's sort of a weird pacing thing that it, it concludes the movie, even though it's the B plot. Like it's all yeah, kind of like there's this that like Chico has like an orange shortage. And that every, so like everybody has like a vitamin C deficiency because there's not enough oranges. And this is like what Patton Oswalt uses to lure Sminkle, Brian Frenzy's character, who's a virgin. He's, he's the virgin sacrifice or whatever. He's like, that's how he's going to get him out to the woods. He's like, oh yeah, all of the dude bros are actually bags of oranges in disguise. If you go and bop them on their nose, then they'll turn back into bags of oranges and Chico's orange shortage will be, uh, will be solved. And that in itself is a joke to be like, look at how fucking dumb this idiot is. You can literally tell him the stupidest thing that anyone has ever heard and he'll believe it and like use it as his motivation. But then at the end, they kind of do the thing where like the lady cop, turns out to actually have been a bag of oranges all along and and so he boops her on the nose and that then oranges rain down on the town and then like the the vitamin c shortage is solved and again that's how the end they end the film and it's unrelated from everything else it's kind of funny like it's it's a it's a dumb goofy gag but good job setting it up it doesn't it doesn't have like any actual bearing on like the the plot plot of the film so oh yeah i wanted to, i wanted to touch follows. on that that the directors as many as there were you know alec owen fucking brian frenzy and geely are written written by i don't think they did anything in service of the plot i think it was all in service of the bit i think that's why i like it so much like 
yeah, it would make it leaner without that stuff, but then it's the bit's not there. And like yeah. Spinkle has so many good bits. Like I'm an immortal fuck machine. That one's great, where he like takes like hits the huge <laughs> rail of cocaine. He's like, I'm an immortal fuck machine. Or when he's dreaming yeah. about the strip club and he's like, shut the fuck up, cinnamon. You can't. And you just hear gunshots in his dream. It's very good. All like, his eyes all are the open. Bits... Him sleeping with his eyes open is good, too. Like, that's, that's yeah, like, funny. is it in service of the plot? Absolutely not. Is it in service of the bit? Absolutely. And that's why I can support it. Like, yeah, movies... I me that it's in service of the plot and more just that this movie is like, it's just it's so like loaded down with comedy again with with no with no pacing it's it's constant it's relentless that because it's so much and there's also this this b plot that's the plot of a whole nother movie you know on its own like like jammed in there that's another reference to this era it is it's just so much that like it's a lot to take in and like it, it's kind of hard i think I, I i'm kind of of two minds about this um sort of between the both of you guys like i think uh that I agree. I, I think it is too much. I think like for like a, a pleasant viewing experience for like your average movie, like sitting down and watching this film and like you're just you're not getting a movie. You're getting like just a, a relentless string of bits. I also really but, appreciate that this movie exists for that, like and that it is that and that it's there. So like it's yeah, it's it's a funky now, one for sure. Now to I, be to be clear, there is a plot like we're talking about it like it's just like a, a disparate set of bits, but there is a, an ongoing plot. It's just, yeah, well, it's there's, every there's several plots and that's also a bit. Yeah. And and yeah. So whenever you look at a standard three act structure and you know, this goes to this goes to this, I don't I don't think these guys they did what made them laugh and what kept the story moving the story, you know. At the end of the day, it's very bare bones, and it's there in service of the bits, not the other way around. It's it's non-standard filmmaking. Like, yeah, it's it's YouTube. It's YouTube yeah. filmmaking. Yeah, it's YouTube. Yeah. It's, um, it's YouTube filmmaking. You know what's weird to me though? Like, YouTube hasn't changed too terribly much because you can you can see some of that um, that kind of early not early 2015 wasn't early. It was eight years ago though. You can kind of see those YouTube inspirations showing up in in newer films. Like the kind of YouTube style editing is starting to become a thing. Like, look at Talk yeah. to Me. That movie uses some hella YouTube editing. Made yeah, by YouTubers true. also. Yeah. My my genuine belief is that this movie does not work. In like, instead of the bits supporting the plot, the bits just are the bits. A good plot can ground the bits. You know, yes. like, like looking at it from the other way around is like a, a plot is there to ground us and to like put us in the film and to make us feel comfortable and there and, and centered. And then we laugh at the bits, but here it's like, there's so many bits and it's, you know, like, like it's, it's all in service of that to the point where right. I think it kind and of, they've, yeah, they've kept, they've kept the story. It never stops the story to focus on just the bit. If that makes sense. Like the through line yeah. is simple enough that it's always there. Brock Torino is murdered. Brent's trying to solve the mystery. That's, that's all you need going from there. And that's, what's grounding that first half of the film. And then when the murders start, you know, uh, we move into a more traditional structure um, of a slasher as people start dying off. And I mean, there's still room for good bits there, but it's not nearly as nebulous as the first half where you had all these interactions with like Patty, the paddle boat, the therapist, the John Daly, for some reason, rubbing uh, sunscreen on his chest with like his bald lover. Yeah. Like, the first half of the movie is just bits, um, but it keeps that through line of Brent solving a mystery. 
Um, and then as the slasher stuff starts, you get into, it feels like a, fr- uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, definitely at certain points. Yeah, and, and I, I think, like, to be clear, like, I, I think that I agree with everything that you've said, the, like, the last few minutes. Like, I think, I think from, like, a, like, an objective perspective, like, you're absolutely correct. I think it ultimately comes down to, like, a matter of taste and what you want to sit through. And I think that, like, yeah, I mean, there is, there is a plot. Like, the film is not formless. My point with, like, the police side stuff is that in a movie that I already think is too long and has too many bits, like, quality of the bit aside, like, there is a plot, there is a structure, and I think that, like, if you were to remove the the Brian Ferenzi, like, cop, B plot, you would have something closer to, like, a 70, 80 minute, like, still structured narrative horror comedy with you know plenty of bits that that work well and i think that it like it might be more digestible in in that format i guess my whole point is that like to be clear again i don't dislike this movie overall my feelings toward it are positive i think it's fun um i think that there is like at least the foundation of a great movie in here, but it kind of just like beats itself like into the ground a little bit. And I think is only, only become only comes out of it. Like a good movie for, for me, at least to me, to me, that comes yeah, and I think... in full at the end. Like we get, we get this like perfect resolution to our main story. And like, like, you know, always be in your butt, giving you powers, you know, his brother comes back as a fucking space Jedi or whatever to kind of. Oh, can we real quick, Cleveland? uh, That guy's name is Brother Face, which is very funny. It's great. Yeah. So, yeah, then there's Brother Face, you know, and like there's there's a big showdown and they fight like and it's all very conclusive and and pretty funny. And uh, and then after that, where the movie is is done, we we, our main plot is done. We then go back to the B plot for another 10 minutes. Like, yeah. and, and then like it, it just it keeps going and that's where it really kind of like sinks in for me and like you know that's where like the with the conclusion of all the bag of oranges stuff and i do like all of those bits like a lot um yeah that's the thing once again like i think you're totally right tease like i think this movie as like a tight 70 80 minutes would have been like cohesively better but I think part of that is the outcome of it being a Kickstarter funded movie and wanting to give the audience their money's worth. Yeah, no, I, th- so, I think like, that's, you know what? Right. that's that's pretty noble too. like as intense go. They had a, a lot of people that, that came in and contributed to the film and they wanted to just give them everything they could. And I, you know, I, I respect that. Yeah, largely. and get their, I'm sure a good chunk of that money went to securing Andrew W.K. and his two minutes on the screen, you know, and Larry King and so on and so forth. And it's like, that's that's the kind of stuff I can appreciate. It's like when you, I don't know what their their original goal was on the Kickstarter. Did it say that, Jans, when you looked at it? Like what they set out to raise versus what they actually raised? Yeah, they were setting out, they were setting out to raise, you know, four or five hundred thousand. Uh, but Andrew W.K. Ooh, wasn't really? a... Like a Kickstarter thing, they're they're just friends with him. 
Oh, okay. Well, see, I was, I was, I'm surprised to hear that actually, because I would have assumed that they set a lower goal, they exceeded it, and were trying to find ways to spend that additional money that they, you know, didn't initially like factor into the production budget. And I think a good way to do that is get as many goofy, like, obscure celebrity cameos as possible like i think that's a great way to spend additional money that you've kickstarted yeah it um, looks like their original goal was 200k okay so they and what, what was the the total that they made just over 200k right yes yeah, 241,000. okay so about 40,000 over uh over budget or over that's what they lot. set out to raise so like yeah that's that that's significant that's a significant extra amount um I want to circle back to something you said at the very, very beginning when you're introducing this film is that they they set out to make the movie with the oh, highest yeah. body count, the horror movie with the highest body count in history. They yeah. they they didn't do that. Like, there's no way, right? Like, no, they did. They did. How the parts town flooding, the the plane crashes. I don't think they actually counted parts. Oh, down, but the okay. Plane crash so if you count out. like the off-screen implied. Whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa! But even okay, so if you're counting yeah, off-screen deaths, then like a zombie film where all of Earth dies, like gets, the, gets. the Roland Emmerich 2012 movie, like yeah, <laughs> which like, came out yeah, years like, before this. Like that's that's fucking that's a bullshit metric. If that's yeah. what they and like, did. And, and then too, like also like if we're talking about like the most on-screen deaths in movies, like some like Hacksaw Ridge, which features like tons of dudes getting mowed down and stuff like regularly would probably get it then too right like it's not i will say i i I will say like like this is it's it's a silly distinction and it's it's silly to like belabor this too much because whether or not they met that by whatever technicality or whatever them attempting to just get as many kills into this movie as they can is great and it rules yeah it's 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 just just marketing it's marketing it's fine well well i mean they squeeze most of the kills into like the fucking like recap of of movies one and two, right? It's just like mm-hmm. seeing Which that's that's where they like that's where they really cram in all of the on screen kills. Because like yeah, I so... feel like in in terms of like the actual like meat of the movie, it's not like there's not like that many more on screen deaths than like some of your later like Friday the Thirteenth movies. I don't think like if we're yeah. just counting like the dude bros you know, who get killed throughout the, the movie. So it's uh, like, they really cram a bunch of it into, into the, like the first five minutes. Uh, if you count the on-screen death, it's 19. Um, okay. If you, if you count the Parchtown and the plane crashes, you end up with 4,250 uh, dead in Dude for Party Massacre 3. Well, that's cool. I don't count that actually. I'm only counting. Oh, only the count 19. Yeah, 19, which is still a, a, an impressive body count for for a slasher yeah. film. No Especially doubt. when no they're doubt. all like big practical kills. Like, yeah, across mm-hmm. the board, like that is that and is impressive. again especially on that budget, even more of a feat. And, and the practical effects, the practical effects of the actual kills, like are fun. Like when the the one dude gets like the tree dropped on him, and Motherface like ties a rope around him and then pulls him up and it like pulls him in half that's a good fun effect i like that it's raining the, men yeah. it's raining men yeah uh the the sea trunk thing you mentioned at the beginning yawns where she's like giving him a blowjob under the the covers and the killer like fires a harpoon gun like up yeah. through the the bottom of the bed because it's a bunk bed like that's a good fun kill i i did notice especially on the second watch that like when the uh 
the cops like run over the guy and like get all of his body parts like stuck in like the undercarriage of the the van or the bang bus excuse me um like the the, the intestines that are like wrapped around the wheel are just like they don't even try to hide it's just rope covered in fake blood like it's There's, like you can see yeah. you can see the braid you can see the braiding and everything Awesome. Also, Sminkle getting down there to find out why the van has stopped, and it's because a dude's entrails are tied up in the axle. And he's like, "Ah, yeah. why's it got to be made out of people?" <laughs> Such a dumb line. No, I, yeah, I think he says, "Why? Why does it have to not be a person anymore?" Also good. Which but is right yeah. before that. So the, they, they're they're driving line. Sminkle, Sminkle, and the other officer, lady officer's name I can't remember off the top of my head. Butiker, Candace like, Butiker. Yeah, that's uh, right, Butiker. Are driving along and they see this dude like shaking a child, like kind of abusing him. So like Swinkle stops, hops out, like punches out the dude, and he grabs the kid and he's like, "Here's a hundred dollars and a copy of Grapes of Wrath. Don't come back till you read that fucking book." And like the kid runs off into the distance and they go to leave and they run over his dad and wrap up his intestines in their wheels. Yeah, what a weird well, scene. So good. That's the setup for the the bang bus joke. Where it's like he want his dream is to basically create like a bookmobile, like a mobile library, because he talks about the first time he read as a book his child as a child, his mind went bang. So now he wants to bang he wants to bang children's minds with reading, but that's not catchy enough. So of course he just keeps saying that he wants to bang all of the children. And again, the going back to the the Christian Shaw is a horse style comedy. Uh, it is that again where it's like the bang bus joke is funny at first and then it starts beating a dead horse and not being funny and then at the end it's funny again yeah it led to a line that i think everyone who's seen the film it's the if one line's gonna stick in your head it's my bang bus my dream like it's so good yes that's that is one of the best like just like single lines that you can pull out of the movie my My bang bang bus bus, my dream my dream (laughs) And also among all this, all these like good bits, there's also a whole like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead bit that goes throughout the entire movie with a uh, turtleneck bro and flannel bro. They're very much the them. films Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, um, who every time the camera accidentally like features them are discussing that play. It's very funny. They oh, also no. seem to be the only characters that know they're in a movie because whenever they're found dead, they're like, ah, who fucking knows the script shit anyway. He's like, come on, man. It's not that bad. Yeah. Voice of the audience a little bit. Um, yeah, we uh we should we should probably conclude. I think uh yeah, we can let's um, wrap this up. We, yeah, get get to the end, which I touched on a second. Uh but that you know, uh, our our hero faces off against Motherface. Um he's not ready to fight her, but then his go his brother appears as a force ghost, and then all of his dead friends appear as well, and they they enter him. Um, oh, right before that, too, also the, the wheelchair guy uh, returns because he disappears for the majority of the film with mastery over all beasts. Uh, I do love that he just goes, look at my beasts! And it's like a shitty, like, puppet, like, wolf and an owl. Um, and, a, uh, and just like a and dude the, in, like, a bear costume. Yeah. It looks like the, the dog guy from The Shining who's, like, so, giving the dude the blowjob. Yeah, and then like you know, and, it, and it's all set up as like this big, like Deus Ex Machina, and and he's like talking about how cool eagles are, and then like Motherface just kills him in one hit, and we move on. Yeah, just throws a hatchet into his face. Well, and the the bear and the the wolf like drag his his corpse off into the woods. <laughs> oh, and there's a really good line before that because he's like, "This is a motherfucking bald eagle, the most majestic bird on earth, and I made it my bitch." 
And he's like, because birds of a feather flock, and she throws a hatchet into his brain, and he goes, together, and just together. falls out of the chair. <laughs> <laughs> Look at my beasts! And then, Look at um, my beasts! Then all the force ghosts appear, and they, they enter uh, our, our protagonist uh, very homoerotically. Um, it's like he's getting fucked by a ghost, and then all the all of the ghosts enter him, and he becomes like a brother face. Uh, and it's just a Dolph Lundgren look- looking motherfucker, like who's like super just like ripped, just six four, pure actor. muscle, just yeah. pure Hulk, muscle. Not Hulk a guy style. we've seen, yeah, not a guy yeah. we've seen at all in the movie. He Hulk um, yeah. yeah, the he power of all the bros forms brother face. He immediately and without any effort whatsoever, uh, just like mercilessly beats Motherface to death. And they just do him like one wide, one wide shot of this big beefy guy just like smashing the shit out of like a mannequin in a Motherface costume for like 45 seconds. It's a it's a great bit because Motherface had just previously, oh we need to touch on that. Motherface uh, hits Brent in the face, knocks him over, she's easily beating him. Um, and she knocks him onto the ground and he's like, I know who you are. She's like, oh, yeah. And he's like, you're Ronald Reagan. And she pulls off her mask and it's Ronald Reagan. He's like, how did you get me? How did you get me, Brent Torino? How did you know it was me? And he lays out like the hot air heavy metal balloon prank that they did that like uh, liberated this small South American country and was let Reagan put in a puppet dictator uh, to destabilize the region. And so he has to kill them because they're, mo- they're the most effective special ops soldiers in the world, according to him. Uh, and yeah. then he wakes up, and he has dreamt this after being smashed in the face by Motherface. Motherface right. is actually the daughter of the previous, uh, or of the first Motherface, and the sister of the previous Motherface. The twin sister. And, yeah, and she's shown as capable, so it's a really funny bit whenever he transforms into Brotherface, and she squares up like there's going to be an actual fight, and he just knocks her over, jumps on her chest, and just starts pounding her with both fists, just hammer fists. It's very yeah, funny. Kate, right? Yeah. Yeah, Kate Again, style. Yeah, for like 45 seconds, just like one wide shot, just like demolishing this mannequin. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. th- that's basically where well, the film is over. Well, we, we also get that, that beautiful scene where the, the where Brotherface, this massive man who's just wearing jorts, by the way, he's no shirt. He like reaches up, there's like this blue lighting, and he like looks up at the sky, and he's like holding his hands up. <laughs> like this big dramatic pose, and it's the forced ghost of uh, Brock. He's like, we'll always be with you in your butt, giving you powers and stuff. It's so good. Yeah, I guess that's the thesis of the film. Well, let's rate it. Let's rate it and be done with it. Um, Jans, this was this was your pick, so uh, I'm going to let you start it out, although I think I, I Damn, have an I inkling of, of what your rating is. Yeah, I know, right? Go ahead and do the formality. Yeah, it stays. It stays five out of five for me. My fa- yeah. probably my favorite favorite comedy ever of all time. Wow. Okay. Yeah, com- uh, as comedies go, yeah, there's few that surpass it. All right, uh, Cleveland. What about you? I'm gonna give it a strong three and a half out of five. I think it's great. I think I, I do like this movie more with every watch. I was pretty overwhelmed the first time I saw it. I think uh, it it does get better but I, I don't know if i have the endurance to keep re-watching it um so many more times but it, it's the kind of film I, I would definitely enjoy like showing to a friend strong strong three and a half out of five for sure then yeah i think this movie is absolutely relentless and you know like we mentioned 
it kind of leaves you exhausted by the end of it. I definitely respect that, you know, they gave their their backers their money's worth. Um, I feel like I was groaning and laughing hard in equal measures at jokes. Um, when it hit, it fucking hit hard. Um, when it didn't, it didn't. The thing is, there's enough jokes for about five movies here, so that's yeah. totally fine. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a three out of five. Um, yeah, well, to round it out, um, I I agree with a lot of what Ben said. Uh, I'm I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it a three and a half, I think, as well. Um, sort of for what Cleveland said, like I do think that it does kind of like multiple viewings do give you uh, a chance to catch some some bits that you might not have gotten before. So I did appreciate that on on this second watch. Um, but yeah, overall, uh, too long. Trim it down, guys. Come on. Um, so I'm going to give it a three and a half as well, which will give Dude Bro Party Massacre overall a uh, pretty strong average of 3.8 out of five. Uh, Yanza's five out of five skews that pretty hard, I think. But uh, yeah, check it out. It's on It's on Tubi. You can watch it for free if you're so inclined. Yeah, they just this year got a new distribution company. Uh, previously, it was very hard to find it. Oh, was um, it really? Okay. Yeah, for a long time, the only way that I had to watch it was my DVD of it that I bought from uh, whatever company they were using for their releases for a while. Word. But they got a well, new uh, distribution company, so now it's available on Tubi, Amazon Freebie. You can go buy a Blu-ray DVD, whatever. Yeah, it's on Tubi. not hard. Not hard to watch this movie. Yeah, it's on Tubi. That's where I watched it the first time. Um, next week, we're we're starting to get into end of the year stuff, and we're we're changing the order of things up a little bit this year. Um, we realized that it doesn't really make sense to do our year in review before doing our end of the year catch up. Um, so we're, we're flipping those. So next week, it only took us five years. It only, it only took us, up. yeah, it only took us six years, actually. Six, um, Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. It only took us six years to figure that out. Um, so you can see how smart we are, but, yeah. uh, yeah. So we're going to watch so these next, movies several times over to catch all the plot. <laughs> So we're we're going to be doing our, our end of the year catch up next week with the winner of our predictions game for this year. Ben, do you want to announce those results? Yeah. So, you know, over the last couple of months, the race for the lead tightened up a little bit. I was surprised. Um, so in third place with 14 points was Cleveland. I'll take it. In second place with 16 points. It was me. So in first place, uh, with 21 points. Ooh, uh, commanding lead. Holy shit. Commanding fucking lead. Hell yeah. Yeah, really, Uh, the the race to tie was for second. I fucking stay winning. Stay winning. I suspected this was going to be the case, so I already had a couple of films chosen um, that uh, I want to talk about. We're going to watch It Lives Inside. Uh, which I remember seeing a bunch of previews for, and I thought it looked really good. Uh, and then it sort of came and went, and I forgot that it existed. Um, so we're going to watch that, and then we're going to watch uh, Cobweb as well, which I've heard a bunch of really good oh, things about. Jans and I watched that together, actually. I've seen nice. it a couple times. I keep on showing it to people. Yeah, I think it's okay. Okay, well, we will... A lot of my I, other peers really like it, though, So, I, I, and it's been getting a lot of rave reviews. But, uh, yeah, so we'll be watching those two movies for uh, our, our 2023 uh, year-end catch-up next week. Uh, so Sick. join us then. 
Um, I guess we won't do a sponsor because we're remote. Uh, it's it's hard. I mean, really, Yon's is our sponsor this episode. That's true. Yon's is yeah, technically our, our sponsor of, of the episode. Um, so I'll you. use this opportunity to shout out uh, our, our honorary pod boys um, who support us on Patreon, the lovely folks who give us money and recommend us movies to watch. Uh, and those people are Sam, Zach, Micah, Mitchell, Henry, and of course, Jans. Thanks, Jans. This was this was a really good time. Um, my problems with the movie aside, I, I I had a fun time talking about it for sure. Oh yeah, you know you can you can ask Cleveland. Uh, my my taste is eclectic, but there are some some real bangers in there. Uh, you've brought a lot of good you've brought a lot of good stuff uh, to the to yeah, the show yeah, in the past too. So you uh, know? we're we're always we're always happy to uh, to oh, have right. your 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 taste uh, mixed in. Um, cause it takes all types of movies to make an interesting, cool. My, my next pick is going to be, uh, my next pick is going to be Della Morte, Della More, uh, which is just gonna, just gonna fuck y'all's days up. Spoiler. I don't know what that is though, but we'll, uh, I love we'll that movie. Out. Oh God. I, mm-hmm. I was obsessed with that movie whenever I was 16. You'll love it. Oh no. All right. Well, uh, that, that encourages, uh, listeners of the podcast to stick around until we inevitably cover that with Jan's next pick. Um, but yeah, so support us on Patreon, uh, leave us a five-star rating and review, uh, wherever you're listening to this, follow us at letterbox.com slash pod people pod, where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those reviews. Uh, my extracurricular recommendation for this week is, uh, is an album that came out recently, um, it is a collaboration between death grind outfit full of hell and my uh, favorite shoegaze band, Nothing. They did a collab album called Where No Birds Sang. Um, It is, uh, I'd say, for fans of, like, early Mogwai or My Bloody Valentine meets, like, early Industrial Swans. If that sounds like your vibe, check it out. And also, it's loosely based on the events of 9-11. So enjoy that, too. Wow. (laughs) That's it for me. Well, for my recommendation this week, oh man, I I don't really have much to go off of this week. I'm going to recommend, I don't know, man, shit. Listen to Cameron's Purple Haze. Dipset is one of the greatest East Coast hip-hop outfits, probably second only to Wu-Tang. Did and, you say Cameron? Uh, yeah, Cameron. Do you mean Cam- I was gonna say, do, just do you mean Cameron? Yes, yeah, Cameron. You said Got Cameron. More money than James Cameron. Money long. Exactly. Like my Cameron. money long. My it, money it long like have, James Cameron. My uh, my mic must have destroyed it. I'm gonna sure. blame but, it uh, on. Oh, 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 um, run it uh, back. Purple haze is green. Cleve. I love Jimi Hendrix. All right, yeah. Um, my pick is uh some AAA shit. Um, I. I played a lot of Apex uh, a while back, and I, I liked it with all the guns and things, but I'm not really a multiplayer kind of guy. So I finally got around to starting Titanfall 2 uh, oh, nice. the campaign, and uh, it's fucking good, man. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a what, I don't know when it came out, like, probably 2015 or something, maybe earlier than that. I don't know. Earlier but than it's that, great. I think. It's, uh, yeah, it's got cool mechs in it. It's really uh, scratching that, that post-armored core itch that I had. It's got cool mechs and first person shooties and wall running and it just feels so fucking good to play, man. It's it's a who it holds up. 
right. Yeah, the campaign is of that game is very good. Um, Jans, do you have anything that you would like to plug, or just uh, anything you generally want to recommend that you've been watching, playing, listening to? Something you think folks should check out? I got a. I got two things. I got yeah. Here we go. You can follow me um, at Horror Played uh, on Twitter on the Hell site, the terrible Hell site. Um, I'm also I think you mean X, formerly known as Twitter. The whatever phony, site. Wh- whatever phony Stark calls it now. Um, so and then let's see here. You can also find me at uh, Dread XP Games, uh, which is the company that I work for as a marketing director, and I run all the Twitters and the TikToks and such. So go check out Dread XP wherever you play games. We make fantastic horror games. Uh, Cleveland's our art director. What? Um, Which one? And then my recommendation, wow. if I have a recommendation this week, um, the album Bangs by Brick and Mortar. Uh, it's really good indie rock, really high energy stuff. It's, it's pretty solid. You well, you heard it here out. first, folks. You got three album recommendations to check out this week. So go listen to music and play Your Titanfall 2. Your dream. Yeah, our our bang bus, our dream. All right. Well, Jans, thanks again for joining us. Thank you to the listener for listening. And stay partying hard. <laughs>